If you're new to cryptocurrency, you may hear what I like to call boogeyman terms, such as fractional reserve banking or fiat currency. And even if you don't know what these terms mean, the way that many people say them probably leads you to think that there is something bad or sinister about these terms, and there's something to be afraid of. In today's video, I'd like to take a deeper look at fractional reserve banking, its history, how it functions within our modern monetary system, and then also give several key examples of how fractional reserve banking is different from cryptocurrency. Hey everyone and welcome back. This is the Part-Time Economist and in today's video I wanted to talk all about fractional reserve banking. So we'll talk about the history, some of the good things about it, some of the risks about it, and then most importantly why it is so much talked about in cryptocurrency and where cryptocurrency is different from fractional reserve banking, but also several instances in which it can be similar. So TLDR, bottom line up front, fractional reserve banking is a system that allows banks to keep a portion of their deposits on hand and lend out the rest. This frees up capital for needed purposes, but also poses a risk in terms of mass redemption. Think bank runs and stuff like that. So we'll expand upon all of those points as we go through the video. We'll talk about fractional reserve first, and then towards the end of the video, we'll get into a little bit of the cryptocurrency comparison. So first off, what even is fractional reserve banking? How did it start? Why does it matter? Well, I think the important thing to understand is that I don't know that anyone 100% knows exactly where fractional reserve banking started, but the general consensus is that it starts back kind of in the Middle Ages where people are going on voyages, they have these gold coins, and they want to essentially leave them somewhere safe. So let's suppose that I am going on some new adventure, and I've got, let's just make up a number, $100 worth of gold coins. I tell my friend, hey, I'm going to leave these $100 of gold coins with you. Keep them safe for me. I'm going into this hazardous territory. I don't know what's going to happen to me or if I'm going to make it back safe. So I go on my voyage and you know that when I get home, I'm going to want those gold coins. So you sit there, you watch over them, you count them every single day to make sure that my $100 of gold coins are still there. And I get back from my voyage, I get my gold coins, and I tell all of my friends, hey, this guy that I know, he is very trustworthy. If you go on a voyage, you should lend your gold coins to him also. So I don't want to say lend, I mean deposit. Um, you should deposit your gold coins with him also. So now we have a hundred friends that go on a voyage. Again, we all deposit our gold coins with him. And over time, he realizes something. He says, you know, I have these 100 people and they're all going on trips and explorations, but I would say I probably only get one person every month that actually wants to come in and get their gold coins back. So I've got all these gold coins sitting here. What could I do with them? I know there's a shipbuilder in town and he needs some gold coins to build a new ship. 
since I've got this money just sitting here, why don't I lend him some of that money? And then when he repays me, I will have not just a hundred gold coins, but a hundred and two gold coins. I can keep those extra two coins for myself. Everyone else will still have their money. So over time, as this person lends to more people, they realize that they can kind of figure out a schedule of only so many people come in to withdraw at a time. I can lend out the rest. So this sounds really good, right? Because on the one hand, we are safekeeping the money for these people. But at the same time, we are enabling the shipbuilder to go build a new ship. We're enabling someone to invest in a new building or research or whatever the case may be. So in a sense, this fractional reserve banking does have some positive um, effects. The problem arises when everyone comes back to get their money all at once. So I just made this silly little meme here, but basically it says people deposit money but hardly ever request withdrawals. We lend out their money to earn interest. They withdraw. They all withdraw at the same time, and then we have a bank run. So essentially what happens here is we're lending this money out, and we know full well that we don't have enough money to honor all the withdrawals if they were to come due at the same time. But we know that never happens. No one ever comes in all at once to get their money out of the bank until they do. And throughout history, we have seen numerous examples of bank runs, right? Even you can see from this screenshot on Wikipedia going into the 2020s. The reasons for bank runs can be many, but essentially it works something like this. Let's suppose we have 10 people. They each have $10 and they deposit it into the bank. The bank has $100 and the bank says, I only redeem $10 per month, so I'm going to lend out $80. Now, the one monthly redemption comes into the bank and they pull out their $10. The bank is still doing good. They've still got $10 on hand. But let's suppose that second person comes in. Now, they make a withdrawal. The bank has no money. People start to hear about this and they say, hey, the bank doesn't have any money. I need to rush to get my money out because there's not enough available. So everyone goes to the bank trying to be the first person to get their money out because they know the bank can't honor all of those redemption requests. So where does that leave us in the modern world? Essentially, the key thing to understand here is something known as reserve requirements, reserve ratio, and then the money multiplier. Uh, money multiplier kind of an ambiguous term. I don't like using it because it has kind of uh, touch points with other areas of economics. But for this example, you can use money multiplier if you want. So when we think of a bank, and in my historic example, I said this person's, you know, holding the gold coins and they kind of do this trial and error and realize that only 10% of their customers redeem every month. As central banks emerge and they set policy and regulation for their respective member branches within their jurisdiction, they say, okay, we're not doing this trial and error thing. You've got to keep a certain amount of reserve requirements on hand. Now, this varies both across countries, but also within countries across time. The United States reserve uh, ratio sometimes was higher, sometimes was lower, but let's just use an example of 10%. In this example, the Federal Reserve says if someone deposits $100, you have to keep $10 on hand, right? So what does this mean? This means that I can lend out up to $90. 
So let's suppose customer one comes in, they deposit $100, and then as soon as they leave the bank, someone comes in and they say, hey, I need to buy some uh, some stuff from Home Depot. Can I take out a loan from $90? And they say, hey, that is exactly how much I can lend you. So they take their $90, they go, they spend it at Home Depot. Well, Home Depot now has $90. What are they going to do with $90? They're going to go deposit it into another bank. And this bank can lend out $90 times that 0.9 uh, reserve requirement. So this bank can lend out up to $81. Well, wouldn't you know it, as soon as Home Depot finishes their deposit, someone from Walmart comes in and they say, hey, I need to borrow $81 because the produce section is low and we need to buy some more groceries. And the bank says, hey, this is awesome. I just got a deposit for $90 so I can lend you exactly $81. And this process essentially continues with people taking out deposits and loans till we have essentially magnified that $100 deposit into multiples of the original value. So the key takeaway here, again, remember, the reserve requirement is going to vary across time, across countries, but dividing the initial deposit by the reserve ratio gives the total possible money creation. So a $100 deposit divided by uh, right 0.1. I don't have my calculator out. I don't want to attempt to do the math, but you could do that and figure out the theoretical maximum amount of money that could be created. Some people will call that the money multiplier. So the idea here, main takeaway, is we can create multiples of money of the original deposit. So where does that leave us in terms of current U.S. regulation? We talked about how the Federal Reserve has sometimes increased and sometimes lowered the reserve requirement. And we also know that the reserve requirement is very important for making sure that not everyone comes to withdraw all at once. So this was actually news to me, but on March 15th of 2020, the board and when they say board, they're referring to the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System, reduced reserve requirements to 0%. So what does this mean? There's no longer you have to keep 10% of your money on hand. You have to keep 0% of your money on hand. And you're probably thinking, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Banks literally have no money in them. But that's not exactly the case. Because instead, the Federal Reserve has uh, implemented something instead known as ample reserves. Essentially what they do is they will pay interest on any excess reserves that the banks maintain. So in the past they said, this is the regulation, you must keep this amount of money and you better do it or else, right? Now they're saying you don't have to keep anything, but if you do want to keep some money, we can hook you up with a pretty sweet interest rate. So they're providing a financial incentive for these banks to uh, keep these uh, reserves, essentially. So that's pretty much an overview of current U.S. policy, uh, historical fractional reserve banking. What does this actually mean for cryptocurrency and why do people talk about fractional reserve so much like it's a negative thing? In order to understand this, we've got to go back to the history of cryptocurrency. Remember, Bitcoin, the original crypto being created in the result of that 2008-2009 uh, financial crisis, a lot of people kind of blaming the banks for that, right? They made these bad loans. They were over leveraged. They did all these things. So on the surface, many people oppose fractional reserve banking in cryptocurrency. And again, I'm not speaking for everyone, but there's a general opposition to it because it's seen as dishonest. If I'm giving you my money 
and I want it back and you can't give it to me, that is seen as unfair, right? It doesn't matter that the bank runs seldom happen. It's the fact that if they were to happen, you're kind of not going to be able to honor those redemption requests. On top of that, the expansion of the money supply created by fractional reserve banking is seen by some people as causing this boom and bust cycle, right? If I deposit $100 and then you go and lend out multiples of that amount, then you're profiting and I'm not really getting anything out of that. So for whatever reason, uh, cryptocurrency is different than fractional reserve banking in a number of ways. The first is that with cryptocurrency, it is possible to store your cryptocurrency on a device, on a cold storage wallet that only you have access to. So if only you have your funds, there's no bank that can leverage them or lend them out in the first place. But if we own cryptocurrency, we probably still want to make a little bit of interest. So what can we do? When we lend out our funds through cryptocurrency, it's still different than fractional reserve banking in a couple ways. The first is that it is transparent. With the exception of some privacy-based cryptocurrencies like Monero, almost everything in cryptocurrency is on a publicly uh, viewable blockchain. What this means is that I can see how much a certain cryptocurrency address has in funds. Yes, I know that I'm depositing my funds with them and they're lending them out, but I can see exactly what that uh, reserve requirement is, what that ratio is. And this is something that I can't really do with a bank balance sheet. I can't go into my local bank and say, what are your loans? What are your deposits? What's your reserve ratio? I can't really do that. But with cryptocurrency, it's incredibly easy to see wallet addresses, how many tokens are in them, and a variety of other things like that. Indeed, many of the cryptocurrency lending protocols are actually over collateralized in which they will have more assets than they are actually lending out. So key takeaway here is that fractional reserve banking enables money creation with both positive and negative effects. On the positive side, we can create funds that for people that need to invest, that need to build new things. But at the same time, there's simply not enough money to honor all of our obligations at any one time. With cryptocurrency, we kind of flip this upside down. If you want to do self-custody of your cryptocurrency, you are the only one that has access to those funds. There's no bank to even lend it out at all in the first place. Now, this is different, of course, if you use a cryptocurrency lending platform like Celsius, um, Nexo, anything like that. In that case, you're making an informed decision to deposit your funds with them with the knowledge that they are going to lend it out. So a little bit of a difference there. Don't want to go too much into it here. And then if you do some kind of decentralized finance, Remember, you're still lending your cryptocurrency, but it's transparent. You can see the balances, the deposits, everything like that. So this was just a very overview, very general overview of uh, fractional reserve banking. I hope that it covered some of the general beginner level basics. If you've got more questions, of course, be sure to leave them in the comments. As always, this video is not financial advice, simply trying to help educate you about cryptocurrency and how the economy works. I appreciate you watching and I'll see you next time.